Welcome to the Bringing Intimacy Back Show, where intimacy is real. If you desire to intimately connect with yourself, your significant other, children, family, friends, community, and your higher power, this show is for you. Thus, we explore intimate topics, inspiring life stories, spirituality, and insightful tips on strengthening relationships. This show is hosted by Dr. April and her co-host, Dr. Kelly. Now let's get this episode of the Bringing Intimacy Back Show started because we share with you the secret power to intimacy to create a life you love or love the life you create. Now here's your host, Dr. April and co-host, Dr. Kelly. Hi, welcome to the Bringing Intimacy Show where intimacy is real. Welcome to another Thursday of Bringing Intimacy Back. And for those who are listening on podcasts, we thank you so much for always listening and think about, of course, following it up. So hi, Dr. Kelly. How are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing real well. Thank you for asking. Yes, yes. Much better. Well, I, you know, I had COVID at the end of March and the first I, part of April, and I thought I was just recovering great till this week when I went to connect with somebody and it was, I thought they worked with us still. And it was three years ago, they left the university. I'm like, what? I thought my brain turned to mush. Oh no. I thought I was fine and I had it easy. So my post COVID challenges are much harder than even the ones in the middle, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm uh, just excited because I'm here in Michigan with my family. Good, good, good. And I'm glad that you're getting some family love, especially, you know, in recovery, which is very, very important. Absolutely. Because for 11 days, I never left my house. But thank you for the vegetables. Yes, yes, you're welcome. (laughs) So as you know, this show is about love. And before we get really um, started, I wanted to tell you that, um, of course, with BIB, we have Patreon. And what Patreon is, if people out there are listening Um, And they like the topics that Dr. Kelly and I bring and they want to show us some love because, you know, love comes in all different forms. (laughs) Yes, it does. So, yeah, if you want to show us some love, please think about joining and supporting Patreon.com, B-I-B podcast. It is directly financially supporting um, the show. And in that, you will get some post-show things. You also get some tips and it's only, what? Five dollars. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, yes, so the other thing that, yeah, $5. It's only $5. Yes. That's the, a great uh, deal. Yeah, it is. But the other thing that I wanted to share with the audience is that also um, this week, we're, I'm launching my new book called Improving Intimacy. And it is a book based on intimacy. As you know, that they, we have a lot of shows about different types of intimacy. So check out the book. It's going to be on Amazon and it'll also be on the Bringing Intimacy Back store. So if you're listening about Bringing Intimacy Back and you're like, oh, I didn't even know you had a store, we do. It's a store. Just go to bringingintimacyback.com and it's a merchant store. The last thing before I get to our sizzling topic today is that on this show, every month we honor a nonprofit. And the nonprofit that we're honoring now this month is the Sterling Center. The Sterling Center is an organization that helps children who are in foster care because many times children who are in foster care um, don't have a lot of resources or counseling Mm -hmm. services. And so the Sterling Center provides counseling services for children in foster care. All right, those were all the stuff that I wanted to talk about. 
Now, <clears throat> what I really want to talk about, as you guys know, um, through this year, we've been going through a variety of difficult things, you know, between COVID, financial losses, and stuff. And so what I do sometimes is search and find people who are what we call resilient. Yeah. What does resilient mean? It's that you're able to bounce back. And so guess what I have today? Yes. Our topic is 38 triple Ds. That's right. Triple Ds. You might, well, what is that? Is that a bar size? Is that a, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And I don't have, you know, a small bars, small bars for small things. In there. But anyway, on the triple D, it is a woman who has, what I just said, is resilient. And she's not only survived, she's thrived through a variety of different things. I would like to welcome Michaela Cox um, as our guest today to talk about 38 triple Ds. Hi, Michaela. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yes, yes. I'm so excited to hear about you and to understand you and, and that kind of stuff. Yes, um, Michaela is a six-time published author, which I'm just almost, almost the first time. <laughs> You'll get there. It'll be good. Yes, yes. And so her <laughs> books include Heartfelt Meditation, a collection of poetry, inspired by cherished books, a books of motherhood, a book on take a step and take a breath, ghost series, and most recently her book on was it scripture, spirituality, and our culture series. And then that I guess was, it, that was in 2020, yeah. And then I did two more after that. And then the most recent one was um, about our country and we the people. Okay, your most recent is we the people? Yeah. Oh, awesome, yes. Yes. So, and when did you um, do, when did, you said we, we the people, when did that come out? March 16th to March 16th. six weekish ago. Okay. I'm not doing the math very well, but like I'm liberal arts. I'm a writer, not a mathematician. So, <laughs> okay. Well, you got three D's out there. The one, two, three. That's the, that's the easy kind of math. We ain't talking about algebra or geometry or something like that. <laughs> yes. Okay. So to share with the audience, um, what is this three Z's? Um, it is a journey that I have traveled through lifelong disability of legal blindness. Um, I've had it my whole life. I was born that way. It always will be. So I've never taken a breath or a day where I wasn't. It's my norm. It's what I've always done. Um, and it does involve legal blindness too. I don't have, I have different visual issues than most people. The second D came into play at 26 when I got divorced. And then um, that was in 2005. And so after that, I met the love of my life. And we were together for almost 12 years, including dating. And then we lost him in 2017. So death of my beloved spouse. And it automatically threw me into solo parenting. So yes. Yeah, it's so interesting. <laughs> yes, definitely. I'm so sorry to hear about the death of your. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. What did he pass away from? It was unexpected um, complications from health issues. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, and this show is definitely about um, intimacy. And so one of the first things that we ask people is what do you define as intimacy? I think there's different types. I think there's different levels of it. I mean, we have different relationships. So, you know, 
intimacy can also be the degree of which you're close with people, whether that's your mom or your dad or your family or your kids or you know, your colleagues. Obviously, it's going to be a different type of intimacy compared to your husband or dear God, I hope so. That's, you know, might be another whole show and story that we may not want to approach, but you know, yeah. hey, that's their thing, whatever. But um, it's not just the type of intimacy you may have in these varying relationships, but it can be in what ways you're intimate with people. Like I have very close girlfriends that I consider sisters, you know, I am actually an only child, but I have girlfriends that are basically, you know, my sisters from another mother, you know, but you know, that was a very different intimacy than the bond that I share with my children that I gave birth to. And, you know, that I did with my husband that gave me those children. So it's, there's all different kinds and all different levels that are not only experienced in that way, but can be expressed equally different in different ways within each of those relationships. Okay. Yeah. I think it takes sincerity. I think it takes authenticity and I think it takes vulnerability. Yeah, definitely the vulnerability. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, I mean, you've had a lot of challenges in your life. Correct. Where do you get all that motivation to keep moving to, as you put in here to thrive? I was raised, um, well, first of all, I'm not sure your background or your audience's background, but for my own personal background, I am a woman of faith. And so that's had a lot to do with it and been a major fundamental um, influence and piece of the puzzle for my life story and at play that's allowed me to do what I've done. But as far as what helped me develop what I needed outside of that is I was raised with the idea of We don't know what she can do because I was born in 78 and obviously we don't have all the medical advancements that we need now, but they're way further than they ever were back in the late seventies and early eighties. So um, there's no family genetics or history to substantiate any reason why I should have been in the situation that I'm in with my disability. So no one could really explain medically why did this happen? You know, why is she seeing when she's not supposed to be? How did it happen? So they didn't really have a good sense of why or how, or even then because of that, what my life would look like. So my parents always took the attitude of let's just see what she can do and let her go and see what she's willing to do and tackle. And as long as we support her, an advocate for, and, you know, be an advocate for her and she is doing her best and never quitting and giving up and stopping, then, okay, let's see where it goes. And so I've always had the mindset of, I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to go for it and never quit, never stop and never give up. And I'm going to do it just to prove you wrong. If you tell me no, and you can, for lack of a better term, um, you can stand back and hold my beer and watch. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they just like, um, how can I put it? They weren't very overprotective. They were able to let you do the best you can and provide the support. They were overprotective in some ways, like most parents are, but as far okay. as like, I was never pressured in school, like you have to make straight A's or we want you to follow a certain path. They wanted me to just see where I wanted to go and see what I was able to do because no one really had a good idea or pulse for what a life would look like when you live with op- the root of my uh, legal blindness and visual impairment is what's called optic nerve atrophy. I, I know there's a, a doctor uh, with us, so I'm not sure of her knowledge or background, but uh, or yours, but it's basically the optic nerve is totally screwed up <laughs> and doesn't okay. work. And right. so therefore the bloodstream doesn't go through correctly. So therefore 
I don't process the image that are supposed to send the signals to the brain to say, I see correctly. And so it takes me longer and I don't drive. And so no one really knew a sense of what that would look like in reality of day-to-day real life. So they had all these theories as to, well, she may not be able to do this or she won't do this or don't expect this. And my parents never really gave credence to that. They okay. just wanted to see where I went and what I would choose to do with it. And, you know, see what happened. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, Dr. Kelly and I are both relationship therapists. And um, for everyone who's listening, Dr. Kelly probably will not be with us this week just because she's having technical problems. But since we are, you know, relationship therapists, um, how was the whole dating process when you were younger in your teens or, or in your I 20s? was a late bloomer. I didn't really date until college. Okay, to college, yes. Yeah, I had like my first boyfriend um, somewhere between um, the end of my senior year and the beginning of my freshman year when I went to university and went to freshman, excuse me, um, freshman orientation. And then we dated for a little bit. And then I kind of just adjusted after that didn't work out, which was fine because we were young and, you know, we had other things, whatever. No big deal. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a huge crusher, but it was just, that was the first one. And for me anyway, you know, I was late to that party and that part of life. And then I just kind of did my freshman year. And then I met someone at the end of my freshman year and we were college sweethearts and we got married. And that was the one that was my first husband and ended in divorce for actually interesting enough, lack of intimacy or one way of putting it among other issues. So, you know, hey, that's a whole nother story that we could really go down that path if you want well, to. Yeah, yeah so. I just want to ask in the sense that some people say, well, what does lack of intimacy mean? And, well, you know, and how do you know? In that situation, there was no sex involved. No I was sex. still, okay. I mean, we're headed down that path. So TMI out the window, but yes, I mean, and I don't really care as long as y'all don't. No, I, I don't care. Still, I was still a virgin two years into my first marriage. Mm, yeah okay so we didn't have kids because it was impossible to have kids I mean if you don't do certain things you ain't getting pregnant okay right right that's right, the best right. policy and child and, and birth control they just don't do it okay right 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 and so, had you guys not um tried or anything because of your faith trying to be very right. uh, both virgins we were yeah you know, both virgins okay okay and then um can I put it because I've worked with a couple that were virgins and right. they tried and then it did not work out in the sense of the whole sex, but they didn't get any help. Did you guys get any help? We did. We had several counselors and along the way of that journey, um, he had other issues from childhood. And I don't know if it was something he did as a teenager or if it was his way of coping with lack of being able to in one area or all of the above, but he chose to have addiction of sorts of found on the internet of porn addiction Mm, yeah which added to the inability and you know all that whole mess and equation right 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 I think sometimes I I don't know if you've experienced this but I don't know sometimes men don't realize how being addicted to porn can really just um where they're not there for their wives because they get so addicted to it you know what I'm saying and the with porn Many times it's so quick and fast, like they masturbate quick and fast. And then when they try with their wife, they're not able to take their time, perform, um, love on their wife, you know? No, there's no love in it. There was nothing. There was no foreplay. A lot of times I think he was so conditioned to other things that whatever I was willing as a loving wife and sexual partner was not what required for him to be able to be... 
in, I don't want to say enthused, literally aroused, but also aroused in interest as well. Right. To be that, that bait and switch or that hook, for lack of a better term, to just keep him interested. Because he was conditioned to have that switch to be tripped by other things that piqued his interest then therefore allowed his body to respond correctly. And that didn't, he didn't respond that way to me because I wasn't that because he was conditioned to other things and it required different things for him. And, you know, as long as you're two consenting adults, what you do is your business, but there were things I wasn't willing to do. And he was smart enough not to ask because he would have gotten a very different reaction. (laughs) Did you also have that strong mindset like you have now? Um, or did you back then think, you know, something wrong with me? Because I did think at first something was wrong with me until I started figuring the pattern out and realizing what's going on, you know? Okay. But even if you know that intellectually, oftentimes in a lot of circumstances in life, what we may know logically and mentally and, and intellectually right. is one thing, but our heart and our emotions still make us feel very differently. And they don't always easily match up even though we know better intellectually I can talk all day long what I know intellectually but the heart often makes it feel a very different ball game right right and sometimes it's not into this whole matchup that people produce action to make a change right yeah yes what was it for you to make a change that maybe this relationship isn't for me and I may need to well we got married in 2001 after college because we, you know, did the typical thing. Most people meet at right. the university and, okay, let's, you know, let's get married and start our adult life, blah, blah, blah. Right. The typical, usual, normal run of life events. And, oh, excuse me, that was in 2001. Um, by 2003, I had figured out the porn addiction thing. And so we separated because I had to get my head screwed on straight about what I wanted and what could I be okay with. And did I think this was possible? I felt betrayed because in our case, since we've never had a marital union and you know intimacy I felt like it had already been violated even though it wasn't an out and out you know literal affair but it was like he was going to other things other than me and so we couldn't have what we were supposed to in the way we were you know what marriage is supposed to be in the way um we were raised to believe and so I felt violated and and adultery had been done and as weird as that may be like a a more gray form of it but to me that's what it was and that's how I exactly Mm-hmm. not everyone agrees on that point but that's okay um and so I had to not only was it a betrayal but it was also like you've already taken something that we were looking forward to having together but now we can't even have that because you've already ruined it before we ever could because we were already struggling with intimacy to begin with because of your porn addiction so it was like it was all these extra multifaceted layers it felt like to something that would have been a hard enough problem and issue anyway in its own right. But then you add all those, what seemed to be inherent issues for us just made it that even more complicated and overwhelming and just really just disheartening and heartbreaking. And I felt shattered, you know, mm-hmm. even though right. I, obviously I knew it didn't have anything to me, but women, we desire those things and we're designed to want those things and have that be sought after us. And that wasn't happening. So as a woman, a true woman, and in my heart, I felt just beyond, there's not enough adjectives in the world. And so I, even I'm a writer, <laughs> um, so I separated. And then because I am a woman of faith, I really felt like in that time we were part in the soul searching I was doing that God still wanted me in that marriage to try and be true to my word and maybe have restoration be in a place where there had been much uh 
So you kept trying. So you kept trying. Kept trying. And it just never took and it never worked. And then when I suspected again, 11, that was January, February of 2003. Almost a year later. Almost a year later when I suspected still an issue. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I've been doing this for three years. I've been going to counselors with you. We're not making improvements. You're not wanting to put forth the effort. I mean, I believe very strongly in the sanctity of marriage and the holiness of marriage and any two people who truly believe in what they have together and are willing to work it out. It can be conquered, but both people have to be willing to do that. And when both parties aren't coming to the table, no matter how much one party may want it, it's not going to matter at the end of the it's day. Not matter. Right. Right. And I, I'm in the believer that, um, if God blesses a marriage, it, it works, but some, not all marriages are blessed. Right. And so I realized that I couldn't keep doing this by myself and I can't make him do it. And I can't keep drowning, trying to save him and us. And I was like, I'm out, I'm done. I, and at that point I felt an inner shift in me that I felt like it was okay to leave at that point. And in the state of, which is where we were at that point, you had to be legally separated for six months. Like, okay, fine. You go to Texas for your job. This is what I need in the next six months. We will be separated. If you can find it in you to do these six things, then we'll come together in January and talk about our next move. But if you don't, I will be filing. Mm. And he knew my terms. Okay. And he knew what I required and he refused to do them. Mm. So you must have been shattered and heartbroken. And Yeah. And so I ended up filing on January 6th of 2005. And then we were divorced that uh, end of February of that year. And then I, even though we had been not legally divorced until February of 05, I had literally been um, on my own away for him for almost a year at that point. So in that process of trying to figure out what was going to be the next thing and if we were going to be together or not, I was working on myself. I was going to counseling. I was trying to these scenarios and what I really wanted in life. And I went through a program called Divorce Care. I don't know if you're familiar. Yes, with yes I'm familiar with that. And that's a really good program. For it people is. I highly recommend it. Yeah, yeah. For women to rebuild themselves and for men. It's a great program for right. men. It's in the churches to rebuild your life after, uh, you know, a divorce. So I was pretty much working so. on me once I knew I was done. And I was seeing what I wanted and kind of just enjoying kind of getting back to who I was wanting to be in my person and okay, well, I want to go out, you know, I have a job, I want to focus on that, or, you know, I can explore some things that I enjoy, you know, just the kind of seeing where I wanted to be in life. And then Good, even yeah. it had legally on paper, not been that long, I actually ended up meeting my chapter two. Um, and I okay. felt comfortable with pursuing dating at that point, because I had been in counseling and done divorce care. All right, right. So we're going to take a small break. When we come okay. back, I'd I love to hear about your chapter two. Yeah. Yes, your your beloved and how that all unfolds and how you were able to move past that hurt and anger and not get stuck there right. to create more intimacy. We'll take a small break and we'll be right back. Okay. Are you wanting a vacation in paradise? A vacation to rekindle the passion. A vacation without the kids. A vacation where you can learn how to communicate, where you and your partner actually hear each other and gain insight. If so... Vacation Counseling is your next vacation. Dr. April Brown has created Vacation Counseling in Southwest Florida as a perfect option for you and your partner. Our retreats are one couple at a time. We have a variety of packages available to choose from, including virtual couples retreats. 
If you and your partner are interested in the vacation counseling, please visit us at vacationcounseling.com for more information on pricing and packages. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook. To keep track of the latest news, stories, activities, or coupons on vacation counseling and Dr. April's other services, we encourage you to sign up to receive a monthly newsletter called Intimate Connections at draprilbrown.com. Remember, if you and your partner are struggling with communication and intimacy and you all are looking for a retreat to connect, Vacation Counseling can be your next vacation in Southwest Florida. Welcome back to the Bringing Intimacy Show, where intimacy is real. And today we've been talking with Michaela Cox, and she is a woman who has strived. I mean, and not even strive, I mean thrive, which means she's excelled beyond 38. She's 38 now, and she has thrived beyond her disability, her divorce. And now we're talking about moving toward her second marriage with the love of her life at, at this time and how he passed away. So Michaela, how did you meet? Um, I was at work and um, like I said, because I'd been doing all the things, I felt like when my, my counselor was confident, I was able to consider dating at this point, although it's not been that long after being legally divorced. We met where I was working and he was a customer and I was trying to be the helpful little you know, person, you know, yeah. hi, what can I do for you, blah, blah, blah. And we just started chatting and we went out and there was an instant connection and we dated for two years. And then um, at that point, I was trying to do grad school in Louisiana before we moved to New Hampshire because he was military um, and he what's called IST interstate transfer from one guard to the next. So he went from Louisiana National Guard to New Hampshire National Guard, which is why we spent our married life in New Hampshire. But um, so I was doing grad school and we dated in Louisiana and then we decided to get married and we just it was beyond perfect and I mean and so the difference not that we were you find the perfect person you find the perfect person for you and we were perfect for each other right um and the difference because I know there are some people who are listening and they may have had the experience of what you had in a sense of lack of intimacy no connection not even on a um and I'm not sure on the sexual level and other emotional level communication and and spiritual and all the forms of intimacy to go from that to someone you connect with how does that feel it was amazing no it was a struggle for me at first because I had been um felt so rejected by my first I was kind of not comfortable in my womanhood and in that role so it was hard for me to risk that again after what I'd been through for three years and so and a matter of fact when I was separated I had a hard time um even though I knew I wanted that I couldn't be okay with knowing the first one that I went through was ever going to be my own. Like that's, there's no way that's yes. I'm like, I'm not yeah. accepting that. That's not going to be my fate. And even though I, but, that, you, but that's what your mind was telling you at some point. Right. And okay. Then, so you just said, I'm not going to let those negative thoughts. get Yeah. You. And okay. even though I couldn't see it for myself, I remember praying a lot like, okay, if this is, something that's supposed to be, you're going to have to bring it to me because I just can't ask for it right now because right. I'm still trying to heal. But if it's not supposed to be a part of my life, then take the desires away and the desires are never taken away. And then I met John, 
who was my chapter two, and we just were such a perfect fit for each other. I mean, we occasionally fought like most couples, but I mean, it was worlds apart from the first one. And we just, it's cliche-ish to say, but it really was, we were the notebook. He was my Noah and I was his Allie. But, um, and that was our movie and I (laughs) watch it at least once a year. But, um, and that sounds very cliche but it really was because there was commonalities in that movie and our relationship and what was going on in my own life at that time. But um, it just was, it was what was supposed to be. And we were going to be our ever after. But then um, once again, life as any good story or movie there's a plot twist and then 2017 when I was 38 I'll be 43 in November um our story came to an end when his life came to an end Mm. and I know you also I mean it's just about intimacy and you have a strong faith yes yeah and you've you know you've prayed and you talked to God and he brought you this gift yes you know of John Uh, and then I'm and I know you have what two children also yes yeah how did you deal with that when John passed away? I mean, how did your relationship with your uh, almighty father? We've been doing a lot of arguing. I'll be honest. We've been <laughs> arguing over the last four years and I know I'm not going to win, but I can't say that this redhead has not been arguing and her opinions be known. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. no, I've done that too. Come, but there's no, I've done that too. On. I've done that too. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When, yeah. So I'm not saying it's, and there's been, it, I still believe that's never changed and I always will. And I'm still a woman of faith. That'll never change. I mean, matter of fact, that's probably the one thing that's keeping me standing right now through all three of the D's as we've been talking about, but I've, I've argued, you know, we've had some, you know, things or whatever, and it's, it's altered it, but then in some ways it's changed it. It's, it's different. It, pushes you in a way of things that you may have always heard growing up if you were someone that was around the church your whole life like I was and you knew it but you didn't really know it until you walked it and so it changes it in a way that it's really real and kind of really puts the rubber to the road of what you learned right right and I'm assuming you're talking about faith in the sense of being totally dependent on God now that and just other respects like okay what about heaven and you know, I really wish I could be with him forever, but now I guess you're going to be my husband because I ain't got one no more. You know, that whole, <laughs> yeah, just a lot of different respects and levels of what we hear about in the church and faith and, you know, how, you know, we're still human, even though we believe and we have faith, but we still have the human experience. And you may know, like I was saying earlier, you may know it intellectually, but it doesn't mean that my heart has been felt very differently over the last four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a good thing that um, you still talk to him because as parents, because then you're a parent too, when your child is upset or mad, you want them to talk to you. You want them to. Yeah. And sometimes as adults, when we are mad and pissed off at Jesus and God, we should still go toward him. And right. to talk. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying it hasn't been without challenges, but I just, and it's, it's taken its own different course and form over the last four years. I'm not going to lie, but it's still there. Okay. And it's one of the ways that you cope is through writing? Yes. I've always been a writer. I've always written. I was writing when I was a kid. I can't not not write. If I'm not writing, I'm thinking about it. It's just who I am. It's what I do. Okay. And do you handwrite or do you type here? As a person, I love the idea of the craft of the true 
art form of it, but with my vision, it takes right. too long and I don't have that much time to waste to do it twice. <laughs> it's now for myself, I journal and I do that handwriting, but like for my published work, I only do it on the computer. Cause I just, I don't have that kind of time to burn as much as I would love to do it handwritten and then transfer it. I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. Okay. So in this process of the three D's, when did you start writing your first book? Um, the first one, the poetry one, I started picking at uh, when I was a kid in high school and I wrote it off and on for, oh geez, that was shoot, eighth, ninth grade. That was 93, 94. So I picked at that until 2004. And that the reason is because when I'm in school, because of my vision, it takes me so long to do school and do well at school. That's all I do. I don't do anything else. So I don't have time to devote much to anything else when I'm a student. And so I had to pick at it. And then I finally got that one. And then by the time, because I was separating, getting divorced in 04 and 05, I finished writing it, but I didn't get to publish it until uh, 2011, 11, 10 years ago, which is crazy to me. Um, Because life, you know, got in the way, like, okay, I was dating and married and kids and I had the insane idea I should go to grad school after becoming a mom. Yeah, I'm not sure sure that was intelligent, but okay. (laughs) And survived that. Um, And then because I was in grad school for five years, because John was in school and military and I was in school and we had one kid and then we had two and disability and, you know, all the things I, I had to sit on all of my ideas for the personal creative writing that I've been publishing over the last two or three years. So I sat on them for five years. And then when I got out of grad school in 2016, first of all, I did a self-imposed break. Like, I don't want to hear the word book. I don't want to hear the word school. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. I am yes. literally yes. shutting yes. my mind off for a month. I am dumping everything. I literally just want to be in the pool with my kids. I'm considering nothing for a month. So I did that. And then when my daughter, cause she would have started first grade that fall, um, I started trading grad school work during nap time and evening times on the weekends for my writing time. And then I knocked out two and a half books over that year in New Hampshire until all hell broke loose April of 2017 when things took a turn and I got derailed again and had to get everything back together for my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is, um, what did you get your master's in? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, I have, I can never just do one thing. I have a MA in political science and American government and a graduate certificate in ancient classical history. Okay, awesome. Good. I did that in grad, undergraduate too. I had a BA in sociology with a double minor in English and history. Okay, all right. So you just love learning, love, 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 yeah, love okay. learning. Yes, yeah. But when you do go back to school, especially when you have kids, it is it is hard. Yes, and yes, get the legal blindness. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So you had it like a triple yeah. aspect of it, definitely. Yeah. And so um, now that you're um, a widow, how yep. has that challenge been um, as a single mom? It's been very challenging. I mean, I did have to move back to Louisiana, which is why I'm back in Louisiana, because I was 26 hours from, I mean, I had friends in New Hampshire, I'm not saying that, but a bigger, wider kind of net or, you know, tribe or, you know, scope network, whatever you call it. So I did, and I figured not that my parents, my kids' grandparents could ever replace my husband and their father, but I figured it would be helpful to kind of be nearer to grandparents. And oh, it takes a community to raise a kid. Yeah. And so we moved back to Louisiana, um, June of 2017, where we lived ever since. And so I've kind of just been, the first year was hard. It was kind of like my, my daughter was in school, but my son wasn't in kindergarten yet. So I was still a stay at home mom with a preschooler in the midst of first year of grief too. That was interesting. (laughs) 
Um, so I didn't have a lot of time that first year to really do anything other than just make sure everybody was okay and whatever I had to do to keep my head above water. And then when he was in school, I was finally able to kind of just take a, a step back and look at things and figure out what the hell and <laughs> see what I wanted to do next and start trying to figure it out and do the next thing, whatever that was supposed to look like. Yeah. Compared to the first two Ds, you were on your own, kind of. It wasn't, you know, it's just you. Well, I mean, you and your parents. But this last D um, had two children. Right. That you also had to deal with their grief. Right. How did you make it through? Uh, What I've always done, the lessons I learned early in life with the disability of doing what you have to do and pushing through and doing what doing what's best for you and just getting it done is you just hunker down and grind it out and you don't have a choice you keep doing it mm-hmm. it's involved I mean their lives were already screwed up enough as is I couldn't make it I couldn't say screw y'all I'm gone for six months right exactly yeah. me, so I mean I just did what moms do mm-hmm. yeah I, mean, I found out on east coast time on April 4th of 2017 it, nine o'clock my husband was gone I went to bed I was surprised I was able to sleep that night at two o'clock in the morning I was up four hours later putting breakfast on the table wow. and the world was crashing around me wow. and my head was still spinning but mm. I couldn't say go get your own breakfast and you're six and three right 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 did she know bus stop no she didn't know for two days yeah did she know that that you that he was sick no, they they knew he was in the hospital, but they didn't know to the degree. I mean, they were young when this all went down and through. Yeah, but I'm just saying. Hard for- enough at six and three to understand what was happening, but then to really understand what that all meant. Of course. But for you, for yourself, did you know that there was a chance when he went in that? Oh, so this was a complete shock. Total. Everybody in the military was like, what the heck? Like, we didn't see this coming. No one did. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, and then relying again back on your faith. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which is remarkable. And so from your books, what do you want um, people to take away? What do you want them to learn from the books or from you? For me, the, the message is I've walked a journey of 38 Triple D and it's taught me to go from much tribulation to thriving in all things. And you can do certain things, no matter what your struggle is, it may not be the same as mine and mine may not be the same as yours, but it's still struggle, whether it's a different form or not, it's still the human condition of, we all go through suffering and tribulation on this planet. So you still have to find ways of overcoming. If you choose to, you can choose not to overcome it. And then I don't know what kind of life you'll have. That's your choice. But if you choose to overcome it, there's certain things you need to developed to help you to do so okay were you ever tempted to um many times when people feel so much pain they want to numb it you know what I mean by either drinking or I sleep (laughs) I like to sleep yeah (laughs) I'm gonna go take a nap bye okay well nap is napping is good but you were never tempted some people drink and drink I mean I have occasional beer like or I'll go out with like okay Cinco de Mayo's coming up okay so to me I will be out with girlfriends having a margarita in the next class okay like my people in this country yes I mean I don't I've never been a heavy drinker okay okay so you go through the pain and you feel it 
I choose to sleep. I choose to go to counseling and I choose to watch an insane amount of binge watching Hulu and Netflix. Okay. I don't know if that's good or bad. But that's what I, I get you watch. Netflix, okay. <laughs> that's your favorite pastime is. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all I do. I'm a single mom. I don't, I mean, I'm still a mom. I don't have a partner. So the kids go to bed. I work on my computer doing projects while I watch TV. And when it's non-network TV and I don't have my shows to keep up with, I watch Hulu. (laughs) That's fine. That's that's fine. I see my characters of their lives and like, okay, I get caught up in their stories. And plus I'm a writer, so I enjoy good stories and character development and, you know, what it plots or whatever. And then you know, I like girlfriend time. And so I'll do all my stuff with that. Okay. I mean, so you've course, been in- I like to be in the water and I like a good spa day, but I mean, yes, <laughs> yes. I like so you've been in therapy this whole time. Oh dear God. Your- yes. I tell my counselor all the time. I don't live paycheck to paycheck. I live counseling session to counseling session. <laughs> when my house gets clean and my counselor comes, it's a damn good week. Oh, good. Good, <laughs> good, good. good. Um, are you also um, open to dating again or? I have you- only recently been considering said topics. It's been a really struggle for me to try and figure out that whole part of my equation. And it's not as simple of, you know, when I met John in 2005, I was 26 and it was just me. So right, right. it worked That's out. A whole different story. Yes. But like, if it hadn't worked out, it would have been fine because it was just me. There was no other not that my kids are collateral damage, but there's no right. other collateral wreckage in the path of something went to crap or, you know, you know, it's just, yeah, I'm a big girl. I'm an adult and I would have been hurt, but I can take care of myself. It's a different right. ball game when you have other kids that you're responsible for and they've already been through enough. They don't need another crap show. Right. Exactly. And so mm-hmm. I've been a little bit more of a well, is it better for me to put my desires aside and, just be a solo mom until they're 18 or are they missing out on something that would so it's that whole it's a very much of a when you're in grief in a lot of ways you find yourself in a world of and and both it's never just one thing and it's a push and shove and it's a delicate balance between double-edged swords and it's not just bittersweet it's it's usually tainted with a, a a hint of both duality at the same time there's never a single moment where it's usually just one thing and it's hard to explain until you've walked it but it very much that's a huge part of the grief journey and so even though I have finally come to a decision for myself personally lately I still in the back of my head said what would John say would he be okay with this or you know is this really the best thing or you know oh my god what if this is the wrong thing it's not simple anymore it's complicated and it's layers of complication Mm-hmm. Yeah, and definitely, and I'm glad you mentioned that um, in this process of grief, you go back and forth because there's also the, you know, stages of grief. I'm right. pretty sure that you've heard about them. Um, they're not linear like our culture would like to think exactly. they are. That's what they're I would say. Unfortunately yeah. for my OCD, a little type A, ducks in a row feathers, I would like it to be a more neater and check, <laughs> like I've checked the list and the boxes done that as yeah. much as I would personally prefer that. And that would be so much easier and simpler and less messy. It doesn't work that way. And that annoys my feathers at times and doesn't make me very happy, but it is what it is. Yeah. It's not jive with my personality and I would like it so much more neater and less messier and contain it, but it doesn't work that way. Okay. All right. Yeah. So while wow, you just mentioned another, what OCD, which is, 
sometimes hard because with those. I'm not clinically. I'm not clinically uh, diagnosed with it. I just tend to have those tendencies. Oh, you have this tendency. Okay. Okay. Like I, I like things, and a lot of it has to do with my vision because my world works better when there's order and organization. Chaos is not my friend, so I like things. Not so much because I personally want to be a pain in someone's butt, but my. I, nine times out of 10, if you see me do something or hear me talk about doing something a certain way, it generally, you can, the safe bet is it goes back to what I have to do to be successful and thrive and cope and get around a disability. So I do things a certain way because that is what I found through almost 40 years, 40 years of living with legal blindness or visual impairment of what works for me. And so I'm going to do it work smarter, not harder. And why am I going to make my life more difficult? So Yeah. I wish I didn't have to do things so ticky and meticulous sometimes, but I do. And so that's what I do. So yeah. I like things certain ways. And when it doesn't happen, it's not always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's part of life. I think I guess with life and, and in your life um, and in most people's life also, we have to be flexible. Yes. And yeah. And to accept how things I'm learning. Happen. My feathers just don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Learning and accepting and liking are not the same issue or always the same thing. Right, right, right. And is that something that you're going back to that first day that your parents taught you and then and now you're passing that on to your kids? I'm trying okay. to. Okay. I hope they get a lot of good stuff from me. We'll see. Ask me when they're 18 and 21, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I've got about 11 more years. Yeah, now you're coming up soon coming up to the hormone stage of your of your kids yes god help me she will be in middle school in the fall in a very short few months and she's almost as tall as me i'm like that is not fair that is not right it should be at least eighth grade before you're as tall as me stop right right so how are you wear my shoes right now right right how are you balancing both parts of being a parent i mean i know i was a single parent for many years and she's 26 now but yeah, sometimes you have to be good cop, bad cop, you know, just this whole, both dynamics. Oh, they know they can't get away with nothing. And I have enough mamas in my tribe, like, don't even try it because I'm going to call the other ones and the other ones are going to call me. So you might as well just give it up right now and save yourself a lot of trouble and heartache, honey, because you'll be yes. better off served if you just don't even try it. Good luck with that. They know. <laughs> good, good, good. So besides, um, one of the other intimacies is self-intimacy. And I know you mentioned um, Hulu. You watch a lot of, yes. yes. What other types of self-intimacy do you do for self-care to take oh, care of Self-care you? is so important. And I will admit that I have not always been the best at self-care, especially when I was in grad school and a young mama because I didn't have time. And I really, really felt like I really didn't have time when grad school takes up literally 50 hours of your week. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> yeah. And so um, then you're a mom and a wife and everything else. And he's in school and then he's traveling for military, like ah, all the things. So I was always horrible at it when I was young. But grief has, aside from teaching me many things, um, if at no other time, and hopefully none of y'all will have to go through it, but should anyone go through grief, if you don't self-care, uh, you're screwed. <laughs> you will be self-caring during grief if you want to survive it well, <laughs> because it can be the difference between drowning and holding your head above water. And I promise you, whatever the supposed to-do list that is there, like the dishes or the laundry or, oh, I don't know, the the writing deadline that's always self-imposed on me, I promise it's self-imposed. It's not going anywhere. It will be waiting me when I get up for my two-hour nap, and I will be better. Mm-hmm. So what you, are you saying that sometimes you had to um, force yourself to get out of the bed? 
no, I've had to make my productive feathers calm down and like, it'll be okay if I don't do my project right now and go take it. Right. I'm an overachiever and I'm very driven and I'd rather be being productive and efficient and yeah. Okay. I don't need okay. that. You're on the other end. You're the, on yeah. the other end. Yes. yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard in the sense of um, when you're going through so much and you're just wanting to keep busy, busy, busy. And you yeah. think that's I, what I did like for the first two years. Yeah. Right? If I sit, it's going to, sh- yeah. but sometimes you do have to sit and rest. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's hard for you. Yeah, it is. But I've done a lot better with it in grief and um, over the last four years, excuse me, than I have probably in other chapters and parts of my life. So anyway. You think that came with age or that just came with? No, it came with grief. Um, I don't, I don't okay. if it wasn't for the grief journey, I probably would have still been doing my usual. Like, uh, I'll just, I'll do that later or I'll, 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 I'll figure it out. You know, I would have pushed it off. Mm-hmm. Okay. Grief so there's a whole different other ball game. Yeah. Yeah. So from all these three D's, there's been um, a lot of growth for you. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think makes you so resilient? I know you said faith is one thing. Yeah. And just Um, I've always chosen to do what I had to do and sheer willpower of being determined and just going to do what I need to do and want to do in life and not letting it stop me. I mean, I can't always get around it, but I can do what I have to. I can't move the disability. I can't, you know, change that, but I can change what I do with it. And a lot of things I've been talking about, like, uh, uh, sorry, I'm getting tongue tied. What I have been talking about a lot lately is life is a choice. And what I mean by that is we don't necessarily choose what we're handed. Like I didn't choose. I literally came into this world disabled before I even took my first breath. I was already right. disabled and didn't even know it yet. I was a baby. I didn't know it. My, heck, my parents didn't even know until I was, I wasn't diagnosed with it until I was three months old. Um, so they didn't even know it. Right. So I didn't choose that. You can't choose anything when you're born. Right. So exactly. I didn't choose that. Now I may have chosen to walk away from my first marriage, but I did not choose these, the factors that went into having to result in that choice. Right. That was on him. And I couldn't make him do anything that he didn't want to do. We can't control others. We can only control ourselves. And I definitely didn't choose to lose the love of my life and my father and my children have to grow up without their father. But what I do get to choose is to define my life and not let those circumstances define me and choose what I do with them. Think of it as like, okay, you're playing a card game, poker, spades, hearts, whatever. You're given five cards, depending on the game you don't know what cards you're going to get. till you look at your hand, you can't give them back, but you get to decide as a player how to strategically play them to hopefully the end result of winning that hand or whatever game you're playing. Or if you're an artist, you're hired for a job. You are an artist who likes certain medians of art. Like you may be more into pastels or oil painting, but the person who hired you wants you to do something totally different. That's not your area that you don't like. You don't want anything to do with it, but you're hired to do it. So you do what the boss says if you want to get paid. And so you have to do it their way. And you may not like that, but you still get to decide how you want to utilize what they gave you to make this beautiful creation for them. You're in charge of that. So I get to be in charge of what I do with my 38 triple D. And if I want it to define me or am I going to define it? Mm. 
and it's not always an easy choice. I'm not saying that. There are a lot of things in life that are extremely excruciating hard choices, but at the end of the day, it's still a choice and you still have to make it. Right, definitely. And I love how you um, put it in the sense of playing cards or even that the choice of we have a situation where we can choose how we react to it. How do you, um, those who are out there listening and they have these negative thoughts that come into your head? That is the second thing that I say. And I think it's the more challenging part of it because oftentimes we don't control what comes into our head or what we may feel in our heart or in our bodies or our souls. And we may not be able to control that, but what we can control, and it goes back to choosing what we want to do with those thoughts and feelings, is what mindset we want to choose to adapt in our lives. Um, I think that's why if you are from a religious background, a lot of times in religion, especially in, I can't speak to other religions, but in Christianity, we hear so many times about capturing your thoughts and holding them captive so that you know what to do with them and not let them control you. You, once you have those thoughts and feelings that is perfectly normal to experience and have, and we're going to as part of the human experience and condition, but we don't have to let them run our lives. Now, I'm not saying I've always been perfect at this. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm not saying I know everything. I'm saying what I've learned and what I can share. And I do struggle with it myself. Some days I'm more at the not so okay end of the spectrum. And then some days I'm closer to the, okay, this might actually be okay spectrum and somewhere in between, especially depending on if I just saw my counselor, which more recently, okay, it's been a while. So not so much right now, but being honest, um, but I can choose once I've had those thoughts and feelings and process them, do I want to stay on the more pessimistic side or do I want to see the positive side and try and see it? it's fine even though everything may not be okay but what few things can I see as a positive and a thing that is good right now and a little joy no matter what crap show I might be in the midst of and do I find something to at least be grateful for one little thing that might make it possible to feel an ounce of happiness or joy um do we want to see the good side of things do we want to focus on the bs things in life or whatever So I think it is mindset is absolutely key and fundamental. And that's why there's the expression mind over manner Mm -hmm. or mind over, yeah, mind over matter, excuse me. And that goes back to the choice. We get to choose that mindset that we adopt. And it's in that choice of mindset that oftentimes the mindset of which we choose to have help us maintain the choices we want to decide to have that gets us going in the direction that we choose for our life. Okay. If we make one set of certain choices, it's going to take us down a totally different path. But if we choose set B of choices, it's going to also take us in a totally different direction. Right. So that mindset can help us stay true to the path that we decided we wanted for our lives that will help define it for ourselves, what we want, instead of us being defined and trapped by life circumstances or not so good mindset. Now, is that easy? No, it never is. Life wasn't meant to be easy and comfy as much as we may like to be creatures of comfort and ease, but it's not. Right. We weren't guaranteed a bed of roses. We weren't guaranteed uh, a a just and fair life. Um, I heard someone say one time, the fair comes to town once a year and that's, it's already come and gone. Mm -hmm. Right. And life is always a constant change. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show. And Michaela, if other people are out there listening and they want to get to know you and want to pick up your books. Tell us how they can go about that. 
they are all on Amazon and my website, which is kind of like a one stop. You can find all the things there is um, myheartfeltmeditations.com. And I've really enjoyed this conversation and dialogue. It's an important one to have. Yes, definitely. And you're always welcome back in the show. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes. You've been a pleasure to have. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. So this has been the Bringing Intimacy Back show. Um, Just to let you guys know what's coming up in the month of May. In the month of May, of course, is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we have Dr. Zarif, and he's talking about health, health, heart, health, and food. He's dealing, talking a lot about dealing with eating disorders and intimacy. Then on May 13th, we have the Home Man's Chronicle podcast, which is talking about friendship intimacies. On May 20th, we have Kena Ford on five characteristics of a stimulating relationship. She's also a sex therapist. And on May 27th, we have Colin um, Moichi. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. But anyway, he's a comedian and he's really talking about the emotional connection you have with a child who's transgender. I would like to thank you guys for listening. And I want to let you guys know again on bringing intimacy back on the store, we're going to have an intimacy journal that will be available. It's actually there now. My upcoming ebook called Bring It In, uh, not Bringing Intimacy Back, but Improving Intimacy is there. Um, that'll be there on Friday. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I'm also on LinkedIn. Every Friday morning, um, I am and Dr. Kelly is on Clubhouse. Uh, Michaela, I don't know, are you on Clubhouse yet? No, but I keep hearing about it. I've been trying to figure out if it's something I need to look into. Yes, yes, definitely. Do you have an iPhone or? I do have an iPhone. I've converted. Oh, you converted. Okay, all right. Well, I'll find your number and I will um, get you into Clubhouse, okay? Because Clubhouse is only on um, iOS, on iPhones. Yeah. And they have a variety of different topics. And But every Friday morning at 7.30 a.m., Dr. Kelly and I, have a room that we talk about intimacy. And this one, uh, this tomorrow, we're talking about intimacy through fishing. Okay. All right. Thank you guys so much. And this has been the Bringing Intimacy Back show where intimacy is real. Thank you.